0: Hello and welcome to The Green Stream, a podcast brought to you by Sustainable Business Network Detroit, a network of partnerships between Southeast Michigan stakeholders, innovators, and changemakers. Each partner is on a mission to advance and amplify sustainable business practices. And we're here to learn from, share, and help activate a sustainable way forward for greater Detroit. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review and join the conversation on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, and head over to our website, sbn-detroit.org. Now, let's listen in to our conversation with today's sustainability leaders.
1: Hello, I'm Terry Barclay, President and CEO of Inforum and Chair of the Sustainable Business Network of Detroit, And I am just so excited that you are with us and joining Michelle Suri Robinson as we have an incredible conversation with her today. It feels like, I don't know, Michelle, every time I see you, I feel like it's old friends connecting. (laughs) And so thank you so much for, for taking time out of your schedule to join us. So, Michelle is president and CEO of the largest regional economic development certifying organization, the Michigan Minority Supplier Development Council, or MMSDC. She leads a team that facilitates $36 billion annually in economic output. These numbers are just incredible. I hope you're going to talk about them a little bit and sustains more than 209,000 jobs. She's also the operator of the Department of Commerce's Minority Business Development Agency and leads a team that has been recognized for multiple years as the top center throughout the MBDA network of more than 40 centers. If you know, Michelle, you're not surprised by any of this information. Um, But I'm hoping, Michelle, that you will take some time to talk some more about your background, because I have to say that in preparing for our talk today, I learned a lot more interesting things about you and other um, uh, entrepreneurial endeavors that you've engaged in, like Give and Receive. So would you mind introducing yourself and talking a little bit more about your background?
2: Absolutely. And first I just have to say I agree. It's always like seeing a kindred spirit. uh, So it's always wonderful to get time with you. Um, Thank you for inviting me today to share on this very important topic. Uh, My name, uh, as Terry said, is Michelle Suri Robinson. I have the absolute privilege of running the Michigan Minority Supplier Development Council. Uh, It's a council that's actually 47 years old. Uh, This year, but it's a council whose, you know, basic uh, uh, purpose is to improve the lives of others. So I know we'll get into more of that lately. But when I think about um, my background and uh, all the work that I've done, it is so perfectly fitting. I'm an attorney by education. Have um, had just the distinct privilege of working with some of the best and the brightest minds in corporate America across multiple disciplines. Um, I was also a buyer. So I think some of the work that we do today, I'm constantly thinking from that lens and um, have spent my career really trying to do well while doing good. I started out as an attorney at Walmart stores. I was the youngest and the, the first uh, African-American attorney in their, their legal department as corporate counsel, still had braces on my teeth back then, and, and then moved from that to buying responsibility and understanding the business really working with brilliant minds there at Walmart. I was then recruited by Home Depot and at Home Depot, I created their subcontracting plan. Um, I was very interested in looking at government subcontracting and the power of that work to literally transform small businesses within the communities, uh, people on Main Street that are providing the jobs that are so necessary for the work that we do. From that, I moved to uh, work at Give and Receive. A a lifelong dream of mine was to help identify ways for people and businesses to be able to give back in meaningful ways in their communities. So we facilitated that type of growth. And then I received the call to come and actually take on this responsibility um, here in Michigan. And it's been really the honor of my career to help uh, really bright um really scalable companies achieve their dreams and help corporations at the same time achieve their business goals and realize their full potential. So thank you for having me today. Ah uh, thank you for
1: for going through that because it's really hard to overstate the impact that that you are having, Michelle. Uh, it's really quite extraordinary. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about how your background, that really broad and incredible and impressive background, has really propelled your work and your vision at MMSDC. Mm-hmm.
2: You know, I think uh, I often had mentors say bloom where you're planted, but always plan for the next and conduct yourself in the current as if it is the next. And that was such wise counsel to me. When I think about my legal background, it gives me the ability to really go through and scrutinize where we are to look at Our current state. And and really, um, when I think about the legal background, what it gives me, it it taught you a way to think, a way to process information, a way to arrive at um, conclusions, and then to be able to share those uh, with a wider body. So I leverage that every day. So for my mother, who's still upset that I didn't stay in in law, um, I still use it every day. But I also think about my time as a buyer, uh, being able to listen and understand what customers are asking you for. Um, Not only in terms of the product or service you're providing, but the way you price that, the way you market that. Um, All of that I bring to bear every day. And I have to say as a buyer, the innovative streak in me was really struck. And I think about some of the really cool things that we've done. Um, I remember I was an ear piercing buyer that you probably read about that. And I decided I would take all of the Walmart stores in the country, and go for the Guinness Book of World Records for the most number of ears pierced. That might seem really insignificant in my world today, but what that taught me is you can mobilize a team and and create a level of excitement um, around that that helps you drive your business. That you know, oh, I don't even know how long ago twenty plus years ago when I did that at Walmart. I have to say it's actually probably thirty uh, when I did that at Walmart those teams then became the number one ear-piercing producer in the country. Wow. Uh, So when you think about that power, it taught me a lot of lessons that I use today. The work that we do, I'm extremely proud of it, but I'm extremely proud of the team that makes it happen. And we excite them and allow them to innovate. And and that's why I think we continue to to achieve new heights. Wow.
1: That is a great story. Um, or set of stories, really, and and connecting the dots. And I'm wondering if you could just go a little bit deeper into your current work and talk a little bit. I, I think that people don't fully right. realize the scale and the scope of of the number of companies that you're working with mm-hmm. and the variety of
2: industries that they cover. So could you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. So, as I said earlier, our mission is pretty simple. It's to improve the lives of everyone by ensuring economic inclusion. We know that entrepreneurship is one of the fastest ways to achieve that. Um, Entrepreneurs that we work with, we certify only about 1,200 businesses. So, in the scheme of the businesses in Michigan, that's actually really small. Um, But the reality is the businesses that we're certifying are businesses that are within the supply chain of major corporations, government agencies, and educational institutions. That's really our sweet spot. We certainly design programs that will help all other businesses, and our goal is to create an ecosystem with those companies that we certify so the buck doesn't stop with them. When someone wins a, a contract with Ford Motor Company, Our first responsibility that we share with them is now it's your responsibility to continue the ecosystem, to help Mm -hmm. smaller companies around you. I think the biggest misnomer when I think about the work that we do is people think it's only automotive related, only in Southeast Michigan. I'm sure you hear that a lot as well. And we we have an office both in Detroit, but also Grand Rapids. We are within uh, multiple industries. And I would say some of our strongest supporters are companies like DTE Energy, consumers, certainly the automotive and manufacturing within Michigan, they are power players. Uh, but supplier diversity, just as I know you, you understand with sustainability, those are spaces where corporations tend to work together for the common good. Um, and that's really the work that we do. And I'm really privileged each day to help not only our corporate partners and the government agencies achieve their goals, but we also help those entrepreneurs who are changing lives and providing jobs. They sponsor the T-ball the tea teams and the ballet recitals in our communities those companies are vital, and we ensure that they are part of the economic mainstream that quite frankly benefits us all. Um, I'll share this one final tidbit. We created um, an analysis a couple of years ago, Terry, and we we really wanted to step back during the pandemic and help people understand because I started to see that with the murder of George Floyd, you had many corporations having these big check presentations, big press conferences um, throughout the city. And I thought they were missing the best way that they could really ensure that there was a sustainable model for growth. So we said, well, how do we help explain the average C to the average C-suite leader what this looks like? We commissioned an analysis, and we said, with our current pace of growth with these supplier diversity programs designed to help people of color, women, veterans, LGBTQ, disabled um, members of our communities, designed to help them simply get a foot in the door so that they compete, how do we really help people understand the power of those types of processes and programs? We looked at it and we said, for people of color alone, we've increased over the last 50 years the number of minority-owned firms more than 1,000 percent. It's a little over 1,100 percent. That's the number of firms that we have brought into the fold into this wonderful American dream of entrepreneurship.
1: When you wow, I wait a minute. (laughs) I just have to say, wow. (laughs) The
2: numbers, right? Um, yeah. Much to be proud of, especially when you think about 50 years ago, you were literally in the civil rights movement, you were literally uh, right along those times when there was rioting because of Dr. King's death, that's where some of these programs really originated. When you look, however, at the 50 years and you say has the size of those firms grown, that's the dismal part, there is there is certainly a glass ceiling for people of color, for women, Um, There are many disparities that continue to exist. So when you look at how those firms have grown in terms of their revenue and their size, it's just over 1%, barely 1%. And you say, for 50 years, is there any other indicator that we would have in our companies? And we would be proud of the fact to say that we've only grown 1% in 50 years. Any other growth indicator we're looking at and it wouldn't be okay. So that's really the study uh, that we created. And it said it will take 333 years at our current pace of growth to close the economic wealth gap. Mm -hmm. And as you know, people say all the time, well, if you promote women, then what's going to happen to everyone else who's qualified? The rea- The reality is a rising tide lifts all boats. Right. The Department of Commerce has released studies that show that you could literally have a six to $8 trillion growth in the GDP by simply being more inclusive. And this is just in the US economy, six to $8 trillion in GDP. That's the equivalent of the third largest nation in the world. Yeah, yeah. So, so this really does benefit all. Um, when we look at it as a, a true win-win for all parties. I know, you know, I'm just, see, this is why we need to get together more often, <laughs> um,
1: because I know that that um, in our work at Inforum, we look at similar metrics related to gender, you know, related to, to women, and Um, you know, we also track the progress of women of color on corporate boards. And there's only been, you know, I mean, it's still in the low single digits um, in terms. and, And yes, there's been more growth, but there's so much more that can happen. And there have been economic studies that show that if you did something to move the needle even a little bit, it would increase net profit by 567% and it kind of leads you to ask the question that's a question i want to ask you why don't we move faster on this stuff i mean you know i'm i'd be curious about your take on that
2: you know it can benefit everyone so i have to believe and this is what i shared with my team If most C-suite leaders were armed with that information, I know the study you're referring to with McKinsey saying, look, when you look at these companies and you look at their EBITDA and you look at the companies that are inclusive and have women on their boards, they have women included in various uh, executive functions and roles in the company, you can just look at the EBITDA and say, this is a pretty simple, (laughs) simple equation. Diversity works. Yeah. I really think most of, most of the issue is people have not taken the time and are not fully educated on the fact that these aren't just wishful social numbers, right? These, this is real data that says that when we're inclusive, the conversations around the boardroom table are just very different. The conversations when you're making a decision in a functional area look very different when you have different experiences. And the reality is the world is becoming more diverse. So the corporations that will thrive will be those companies that have recognized their customer base is diverse. So therefore, their employee base needs to look different. Their governing body as a board needs to look different. And all of those things will make them a stronger better more sustainable company and at the end of the day and and then i'll tell you i think the other part is we are in a very divisive world right now mm-hmm. where people believe if you don't believe everything that someone else believes then they are absolutely wrong and we we must disagree on all points right the reality is very rarely do i meet someone where we agree on all points But what we can all agree to is that we like to see companies thrive. Let's start there. Mm -hmm. And if they're going to thrive, the more inclusive, the more uh, diverse that they are, we find that they thrive and they're able to provide better products and services. Their employees are are well taken care of, well cared for, and they come to work thriving. Um, And I just believe many of societal's greatest ills are related to economic Um, disparity. And and that's why this work is so important. Whether you are um, an employee in a company or you're an entrepreneur who is employing others, it is so critical that we all understand the power of diversity and inclusion.
1: Absolutely, absolutely true. Could you share some examples or some more specifics about how you help and support the companies that you work with, and are there new programs that you're
2: considering? Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's an excellent question. I remember when we conducted the analysis for the 333 years, we thought, well, we can't just leave people with, it's basically impossible that we'll see <laughs> achieved in our great-grandchildren's lifetime. We can't do that. So what we have to do is say, what are the programs that are most needed and the resources most needed to close that gap? hmm The first one was pretty simple. If every company, regardless of size, simply committed to spending 1% more every year with diverse communities, we can close the gap in far less than centuries and perhaps even decades. But the second thing that we looked at was access to capital. So when you think about the work that we do, and I know you hear this often part of what I asked our team to think about was it's not simply access to capital because the truth is there's a lot of capital um, out there. It's really controlling the flow of that capital. And it really required us to step back and start to create programming that said, why are there so many gaps? When you look at the Federal Reserve Board and their work in looking at the disparities, the disparities in lending, they'll tell you that if a woman walks into the same meeting, has a similar pedigree, background, credit score, commercial risk score, invariably, she's going to receive a smaller percentage of the loan that she requested than her male counterpart. She's going to receive, and it's the same for people of color and in some areas even worse, um, but they're going to not only receive that, but then the cost of that capital, the interest rate they receive, the other terms that they receive are not as favorable. So we said, how do you really start to shift that? Um, And I'm excited that we uh, just last week formally announced a partnership with the Detroit Development Fund, the brilliant Ray Waters, who created this fund eight, seven, eight years ago. Uh, We will now be partnering with him and he will be our fiduciary as we look at lending um, uh, monies to people of color that are in businesses who need this capital infusion. In addition to that, we created a capital stack because we said, okay, we can create the community bank, and that's going to help a lot of smaller businesses. But we also, in our council, we certify everyone from startup businesses in all industries to $13 billion companies. And when you start looking at these $13 billion companies, they need something a little bit different than the average startup. So because we had such a wide range, we created a capital stack that gave us the ability to create things like the, the uh, fund that we're working on with the Detroit Development Fund, where we're raising those that capital to really be able to provide um, this, this lending opportunity to smaller firms. But we also have impact investment funds that we're working with. Suzanne Shank right here. Uh, Based in Michigan, Suzanne Schenck and Chris Williams are some of our partners in that capital stack. And we are constantly bringing ready now um, deal flow to them to say, here's here's a great opportunity for you to go in. It's going to help with the fund that you've created to provide the capital that's necessary for growth. Um, I definitely say that's a game changer, right?
1: Absolutely a game changer. And it speaks to the absolute um, I don't know, just the incredible resources and people and leadership that we have right here. but it sounds like you're bringing them all together in you know, through an innovative set of collaborations to really produce impact. and that that's just absolutely marvelous. um you know, so we've talked a lot about economic um, sustainability and i'm i am with you on that one you know i think that that's where we, so many of these things have to start how does it, and does environmental sustainability fit in here somewhere
2: You know, I had one of our brilliant uh, national, I think, I I don't know how many billions of dollars her company is worth each year now, but the revenue she drives, but it's a few billion dollars each year. And she said, what do you think the largest crisis is for our generation? And I said, there are so many, sadly, (laughs) but but one of them, and tell me what you think of this, Terry, I said, is water. I mean, we cannot. And here we are in the Great Lakes. She's based in California. So we were talking about it and she said, I totally agree with you. When we when we simply look at something such a simple resource like water and we look at the, the cities that that are, are being threatened, this is a crisis that we all have to pay attention to. The beauty of it, I think, in the supply chain. And and if you pay attention to what corporations are doing right now, I don't know if you see it, but I see more of them taking their supplier diversity leader and also creating now a sustainability department with that leader for environmental sustainability. Mm -hmm. And I've had people say, well, why is that, you know, why is that the right thing to do? Well, when you think about the supply chain at all, aspects of that supply chain, from the product design and shipping and and manufacturing and shipping, through all of those areas, you find the connection to environmental sustainability. And some of this hasn't necessarily been required because of, um, as you know, regulations, as much as it's been required by institutional investors, who I think are so important. When you think about the state streets and the Black Rocks, they can have an impact and quite frankly most of us paying attention to this podcast have a connection to them because our retirement savings is being <laughs> invested by them right and and we don't recognize um we don't recognize that connection but we have the ability to really push the needle in some of these areas on topics like this that I think are so important
1: well and and I do think and and shareholders, uh, just sim- simple shareholders that are not even institutional investors. You know, what I hear when I talk to a lot of large companies is the real challenge as they dig into meeting their sustainability goals and reporting those publicly, mm-hmm. as um, you know they're required to do. It it really is bringing more focus to to the supply chains um, that they have, that they're not going to be able to even come close to meeting their goals unless they do that work with the supply chain. So I, I'm, you know, just wondering if, you know, you have any special initiatives around that, you know, trying to um, I don't know what the word is I'm looking for um, build people's capacity Mm -hmm. to,
2: meet those demands right i would say the most we have is probably related right now to mobility ah. um, those are our corporate partners that are further along and um we all know um just think about our automotive oems mm-hmm. the components and the requirements uh for autos is so different than it was just 10 years ago right um so, you know, like one of the things that we did, speaking of innovation, that gutsy girl that decided that she was going to get the Guinness Book of World Records for ear piercing. Um, I
1: love that story, <laughs> by the way. That's
2: such a great story. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's it's You know what? It's It's been a fun career because I don't mind pushing the needle. I don't mind being the first and I don't mind trying it because the worst you could do is fail and then you start over and you learn a bunch of lessons. But... In terms of mobility, I started hearing um, from some of our corporate partners about how much they were spending outside the state of Michigan Mm. in terms of research, development, design, things that they needed, knowing what the future looked like. So about four or five years ago, I said, well, you know what? I'm just going to fly to Silicon Valley and I'm going to go meet with a lot of these incubators because they have to have access to some pretty amazing talent resources, but they also have the financing, the venture capitalists and other um, options that will help us bring some of these great ideas to a commercial commercial stand. And uh, we found a great partner, Plug and Play. Plug and Play is an incubator in Silicon Valley that actually accelerated the growth of Dropbox and PayPal. The reason that's so important is we are now on our fifth cohort that we're selecting. And we literally started it during the pandemic um, in, in Michigan. They now have a satellite here in Detroit. We have 13 corporate partners ranging from Google to Stellantis to GM, Borg, Warner, and others. And, and, and in addition to the state of Michigan, um, but their focus has been on innovative solutions. Some of those are energy and sustainability solutions. And what we've done is within each of those cohorts, cohorts, we take um, founders from all over the world are now flocking to Detroit looking at mobility and they are bringing innovative solutions and often to sustainability related questions. Why is that important? Out of the 80 founders, that we've now taken through that program with these 13 corporations whose buyers are literally working alongside them in these companies. Out of those 80, they have now, um, they have now had, and I'm sorry, out of those 60, they have now had $82 million in financing for the women and people of color alone. We wanted to make sure this was inclusive. So initially we set the goal because of course in Silicon Valley, they said, well, what do you mean there's a, you know, a diversity goal. Like, how do we achieve that? And I said, we should be able to find at least 40% of the founders as women and people of color. Guess what, Terry? I can now tell you it's 57%. (laughs) Um, So much so that Plug and Play has created its own initiative now across all verticals. So fintech, um, supply chain, what we're doing with mobility, so many other areas. I believe they have 40 different verticals around the country. And now you have um, them literally with an entire program to ensure that all of those verticals include women and people of color. So that's the way that I think we've most impacted this because when I think about the reach we're not only helping with sustainability and mobility, but now you're going to have people asking those same questions about sustainability in all of these other industries as well. And that's how I think you, you change this literally convincing one leader at a time that they can have an impact that makes a difference. So I know that was a long answer, but uh, that's a great example of how to do it.
1: A long answer, but a powerful answer. And uh, what just, congratulations on having starting the wheel of that impact. I mean, that is just phenomenal. I'm kind of curious, I I do have one question for you. How do you find the cultures play? Do they play well together between Silicon Valley and Michigan? (laughs) Um,
2: I'm curious about that. In some ways, yes. And others, no. But what I try to always focus on are the common denominators. Yeah. At the end of the day, they all want solutions. They all want a great ROI and they want to solve problems, right? That, that's at the end of the day, it's it's pretty simple. They They, they want a good <laughs> return. They want to solve the problems and they want to look at the best solutions and leave no stone unturned. If you're providing that, I find that all, and and trust me, the dynamics are very different, Um, but in a way, I think the pandemic helps some of that, right? I think in in a way, the pandemic shifted a lot of our thinking um, as as professionals about, first of all, our our responsibility um, to to each other and Mm -hmm. our responsibility to not compartmentalize every single aspect of our lives. So this is work, this is home. Now I find that people look at it a bit more holistically. And I personally believe that's helped. So
1: what do you see as some of the greatest challenges that MMSDC is gonna face in the next five to 10 years? What keeps you up at night?
2: you know i think um we've all been impacted by silicon valley bank first republic bank mm. and i don't think people fully understand the impact of credit institutions the the regional and national banks that we have those banks now pulling back on their ability to lend to the average um the average consumer, the average entrepreneur, um, in 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 the country, but it's very real because they are all now looking at their valuations very different, and because of that, um, some of that lending opportunity has already been impacted. We have to make sure, and that's one of the reasons we move forward uh, very quickly with. Things like the, the partnership with the Detroit Development Fund, but that's only that's only a small part of what we need. Um, I think we have to pay attention when we're elected and people that they don't just say, oh, I'm for small business. Uh, but instead, we we ask them, what does that really look like? How does that translate mm-hmm. um, to Main Street? I'm sure you recall even with things like our PPP. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, as flawed as it was, that program helped a lot of our businesses that were facing a really rough time. And because of that helped a lot of employees and families. That legislation though, was impacted by Main Street saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, when you did the first tranche, it didn't include us. (laughs) It didn't include us. It didn't necessarily trickle down. We now need to make sure lawmakers are educated and are held accountable for following through with what they say they're going to do. Mm-hmm. I think that's, you know, and especially when I think about environmental regulations, we need to hold them accountable. When they when they run on, I'm for all, well, one of the basic things you can ensure for all is that they have clean water. Mm-hmm. And, and, what clean are, air. And, and clean air. And clean yeah. air, right? Um, so I just think some of those fundamentals, we ourselves, I think for many years, we've looked around and said, well, who's going to handle that? I've said, well, Terry will handle it. And Terry says, oh, Michelle's organization will handle it. Well, I really think we are in a period now where we can all point the finger at ourselves and say, I have to handle it. And, mm. and doing that collectively, that's how I think we make a difference.
0: Oh,
1: my. That's, um, wow. <laughs> that's that. Those are very powerful uh, statements. And I have to tell you, there's sort of a little bit of a common theme in some of our podcasts that we've been doing about the power and the importance of the small business community. You know, we uh, often talk a good game, but uh, what's important is really delivering uh, because that is where the jobs are. That is where the growth is. Mm -hmm. And we like to say that, but then how are we really investing and acting and executing on all of that? And it sounds like you've got some really powerful programs that help connect and make that happen. So thank you, you know, really for your work. Thank you.
2: (laughs) I could talk for hours about about this work because I do agree with you. And, you know, one of the things I would say to that, Terry, is. I'm glad to hear that that's a common theme. Of course, I have just this amazing respect and love for entrepreneurs and those who pursue it. I can't certify them all. I wish I could, but I respect all entrepreneurs because I do think um, they are the change makers in communities. One of the things that I think we can all do, let's say you're not necessarily called to be the entrepreneur, but we're all consumers of some product and service. Um, And I often think we, we feel like we can't make an impact. Not only can we use our voice in ensuring that the regulatory portions of this and we're electing the right people and voting and and challenging them, right? But I also think we make a difference in how we spend our money. Yes. (laughs) How how are we investing the funds that we work very hard for as consumers and how are we holding um, the corporations that we buy from responsible? How are we looking at Um, their ESG, and really making sure we're asking good questions, and we're requiring of them solid answers, not just the pretty surface answers, but solid answers. If we all do that, um, I'm, I'm excited about what the future looks like.
1: So to connect with your point about personal responsibility, yes. what can I as a consumer, what should I be looking for? What should I be asking mm-hmm. as I look to spend my money? What's what's my guide in that regard?
2: You know, and it's it's getting a bad rap right now because the economy um, and, and the uncertainty says ESGO requires all of these additional things of us. So we we certainly can't pay attention to that. But I say look at the the E in that and ask the environmental questions. What impact does this company that you're considering making a purchase from, what end cap do they really have? And are they creating an environment that you want for your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren, right? Really looking at that and starting to have serious conversations. The beauty of this is many of them are now placing it in those reports. It will go away if we as consumers don't really require it. So I think that's important. The social part of that, there are so many things from living wage to the work that I do and ensuring that everyone is truly involved um, in in the decision-making process and that you include women, that you include people of color, you include people that are other-abled, all of those things make us a better society. But we as consumers, again, have to look for those things and we need to celebrate them. When we see diversity and inclusion in people's marketing, in the way that they've approached a product that they're offering, we need to celebrate that and we need to amplify it. And then I think in terms of governance, you hit on it. Um, The reality is it used to be uh, board governance was reserved for older white men at the stage of retirement. That's just the reality. And many of them did an excellent job, but they could only see from their lens and their perspective. We as consumers now need to say, we wanna understand who's sitting on the board of directors of my favorite restaurant chain, or my favorite, um, my favorite company to buy my car is the place I'm most loyal. Um, we want to understand that because it's important because we know by having all those different voices at the table, they arrive at a better solution for us in our generation, but for future generations that matter to us.
1: So I know uh, we don't have a lot of time left, but I have two two more things for you. One, um, we're talking about personal responsibility. Um, can you, how do you view MMSDC's role in sustainability and building a more sustainable Michigan? What's what's your organization's accountability going to be?
2: Love that question. It is, um, of course, we talk about economic sustainability, but what we talk about with our suppliers more than anything is their responsibility to make the world better whether that's how they compensate their employees, how they ensure that they have upwardly mobile opportunities. And truthfully, the way certification should work best is that I, as a CEO, can look at my executive team and see multiple people of color and women that were giving opportunities to someday go and buy their own businesses. Mm -hmm. It's the same conversation for me with sustainability. I can't create a better world if I'm not looking at solutions, energy solutions, if I'm not looking at um, environmental solutions that make my company a better um, uh, corporate citizen and help us get to net zero. Yeah. So yes, we have tremendous responsibility.
1: That's that's fabulous. And so, close us out by sharing what inspires you personally. You know what what makes you get out of bed in the morning and come back at it every day. <laughs>
2: I am. I'm very, very um, proud and unapologetic that I'm a person of faith. And at the end of the day, sometimes the world can look really crazy and really chaotic. Um, and and for me, I never push it on anyone. But that is my internal compass. I know I was created for purpose. I've been given many gifts and opportunities and exposed to so much and so many brilliant people and ideas and thoughts and backgrounds that it is incumbent upon me to do everything that I can to make the world more equitable, more sustainable. And quite frankly, so that everyone um, has an opportunity to thrive and contribute to what I've considered to be just a great society. That, that's at the end of the day, it sounds lofty, but that's what gets me out of bed every day, knowing that I can impact that. I'm not a person that just looks at the news and, and laments, but I can say, how can I help create solutions that get us to a better place? That's the work that I love. Well,
1: Michelle, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing, I've learned so much about the incredible impact that you're having it. I feel like every time I talk to you, there's more. (laughs) Uh, And and so kudos to you. Um, Thank you so much for the work you're doing. And thank you for joining us.
2: Thank you, Terry. and, And much respect for you. I appreciate all that you've done to blaze many trails and all you continue to do. Thank you.
0: Thank you for tuning in to the Sustainable Business Network Detroit, the Green Stream Podcast. Remember to like, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure to follow us on sbn-detroit.org and stay tuned for more conversations on sustainability from inside and around the city.